You know, I, I love Lisa's children's message because it really identifies who we are in God's eyes. Um, we are precious children of God. We're <laughs> chicks of the mother hen, if you will, okay? I know we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but our Lord Jesus has put his wings of love and protection, guidance and direction upon us. He's provided for us. He's brought us to faith. He's incorporated us into his family. We're satisfied customers. We're members of the family of God, forgiven, pardoned, redeemed, accepted. Isn't that who we are in Christ Jesus? Amen. That's who we are. I love I loved that song we sang. And by the way, you sang it so well. God is our good father, and we're his precious children. He's a good father, and we know of his love. We're satisfied customers. We understand that we're children of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a reason we sing. It's a reason we rejoice. It is the very reason we live. Amen? But today we want to answer the question, what does it mean when God's heart breaks? I remember a movie I saw years ago, I'll never forget it, where at the beginning of the movie, this man mysteriously died, just for no reason. I mean, they did an autopsy, he didn't have a heart attack, he wasn't sick, he didn't have a cancer, he didn't have some dreaded disease, there was absolutely nothing wrong with his body. They couldn't find a cause as to why he died. And then they started to research his family history and discovered that he'd been through a very difficult divorce early in his life. His kids, as a result of that, had started to abandon him one by one. Pretty soon, through no fault of his own, he had nobody around. People had left his life one episode after another, not for reasons that he had done necessarily. They just got busy. And things happened in their lives, and they moved out of town. And some of the relationships that he had with family members had never been mended or amended. And as a result of that, at the end of his life, the diagnosis they had as to why he died is that he died of a broken heart. When you think about your life, what is it that has broken your heart? I would venture to say it doesn't have anything to do with educational goals or career endeavors or even athletic teams. I can remember when my dad, my dad said, you know, I think I'm going to be in heaven before the Broncos ever win a Super Bowl. <laughs> and, and in 1986 and 87 and 89, I can remember him saying, you know, they're just continuing to break my heart. Of course, he didn't really mean it. Athletic teams can't do that. And even if the Broncos would have won a couple weeks ago or lost a couple weeks ago, would we would have said at that time, wow, they broke my heart. I doubt it. Life goes on. I would venture to say that in your past, your life has had a broken heart when relationships were broken. When people failed you and disappointed you and let you down and a relationship that you were counting on was severed and broken by your sin or theirs. And as a result of that, it grieved your heart. It broke your heart. What breaks the heart of God? God. 
Think about that. If I were to ask you what breaks the heart of God, what would you say? Our text answers that question so beautifully. It's up on the screen. Let's go ahead and look at it. It's, it's, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll kind of ex extrapolate on it and take it apart. It says this, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now, notice this, guys. Notice this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you that you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to answer the question now, what breaks the heart of God? Look at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, let's think about who the Pharisees were. They were the religious leaders, and you might be saying, I thought all the Pharisees denied and rejected Christ. Nope, some of them loved Jesus and were willing to acknowledge that if he was not a prophet, he could very well be the Son of God. Who were they? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two secret followers of Jesus who were, quote, some of the Pharisees. And so they were concerned about Jesus' life. And they knew that Herod wanted to take Jesus' life. And what had Herod done before? He had killed John the Baptist. And they knew that there was nothing beyond his evil power. And so they wanted to warn Jesus, get out of here. Find a different place. Herod wants to kill you. Now what does Jesus say? Verse 32, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, go and tell that, notice what he says. What's he called Jesus? What's Jesus call Herod? That what? That fox. Why did he call him a fox? Back in 1975, a fox meant something completely different to me than what Jesus was referring to here. Some of you are old enough to get that, okay? Okay, he, he was saying Herod is sly, he's cunning, he's a wily, crafty, evil individual who do anything to destroy anybody. You go tell that fox that I cast out demons and perform today cures and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. In other words, Herod's not going to stop my mission. He's not going to deter me from my focus. My mission, my focus, is to go to the cross and suffer and bleed and die. And along the way, I'm going to cure people. Along the way, I'm going to perform miracles. Along the way, I'm going to execute the will of God. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So tell that fox, he has no power or dominion over me. He has no power over me. He doesn't know who he's dealing with. I love it. Love it. Let's go on. Verse 33, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish from Jerusalem. Now we're going to answer the question, guys, and don't miss it. Now he changes the tone and tenor of his statement, and he starts to think about Jerusalem. And he's been to Jerusalem, listen to this, he's been to Jerusalem many times. 
He's wanted to gather people around himself, declaring himself to be the Son of God. He wants people to repent and to turn to God and acknowledge his messianic rule. By this time, he's been there many times. And guess what? People continue to reject and rebuff him and not listen to him and reject his messianic rule, reject his kingship, not acknowledge him as Lord and walk their own deviant, sinful paths. And it grieves Jesus' heart. And he looks over this city in a different part of the scriptures and he weeps over it. Because he wants them to be gathered unto him like a hen gathers chicks. And they would not. They wanted to live their own lives. They wanted to do their own thing. They were to follow their sinful inclinations and they would not submit to Jesus' lordship. And it broke the heart of our Savior. Look at what he says in verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Now stop right there. Many prophets had come to Jerusalem in the Old Testament and told the people to repent. And what did they do? Instead of listening and saying, you're right, we need to repent and turn to God, they put him to death. And now Jesus is giving us a preview of what's going to happen to him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together, as a hen, as Lisa said so beautifully, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not be gathered. You just continued to walk away. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't submit. And then he says this in verse 35, Behold, your house is forsaken. What was, what was he saying there? He was saying the temple and God's presence in the temple is going to be left desolate. God is going to take away his presence from you, Jerusalem. God is going to take away his presence from the temple. The temple will be desolate. The temple will be ransacked. God is no longer going to show up. Because your heart is far from God. You're rejecting me. You're rejecting him. And ultimately, he was predicting what was going to happen in 70 AD. Does anybody know what happened in 70 AD? Some 70 years or 40 years later, the Romans came into that town, ransacked Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple. And it grieved the heart of our Savior. You know, I think of Jesus just standing over Jerusalem and, and he's just weeping. The tears are just running down his cheeks as he thinks about this, this city that has so oftentimes rejected his rule. And I think, does Jesus weep over our city, our state, our country? I believe he does. I believe that Jesus' heart weeps over people who at one time honored him but no longer are. I believe that Jesus' heart weeps over people who one time obeyed his word but now reject it. I believe that Jesus' heart weeps as he looks at a, at a, at a culture today that declares what is right wrong and what is wrong right. 
I believe that Jesus' heart weeps when he sees through needless abortion children killed inside the womb. I believe Jesus' heart weeps over that. I believe that Jesus' heart weeps, that his heart is breaking over the moral depravity and the slippery slope of moral decay in the United States of America today. I believe that Jesus' heart weeps as he looks at false religions that are catered to in our culture and protected while Christianity and Christians are ostracized, cursed, and persecuted. I believe that Jesus weeps over that, do you? It is tragic. Now you might be saying, well, boy, you're, you're coming across pretty heavy, Pastor Dave. Do you really have to do that? Yes. Because we need to wake up, folks. We don't live in a Christian country anymore. And just as Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept because people had neglected his word and forsaken his ways, the same thing can be said in the United States of America. But I want to tell you what breaks his heart more than anything else. People reject him, who reject his love and his grace and his forgiveness and peace, and who say, yeah, that's fine, that's good, but I don't believe that stuff, I don't need that stuff. I don't need it in my life. It really isn't that important. Folks, I want to tell you, that's happening all over the place. It's happened here at Peace where people, and I'll tell you what breaks my heart. It's not when people leave our church and go to other churches because they're saved. It's when people who at one time tasted the freshness and purity and love of God and for whatever reason walked away from it. And for whatever reason say, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to go it alone I'm going to go through my life without my Savior. I don't believe that stuff. I've had some hard knocks and difficult things that have happened in my life, and I really don't believe that Christianity has cracked up what it should. It's really not something that does it for me, because if God were a loving God, why would this happen? And why would that happen? And why would my life be such a mess? And so they look at Jesus as the one who is a cure-all for all their problems. And when their problems aren't fixed and their difficulties aren't taken away, instead of seeing Jesus as a savior of their soul and the Lord of their life, he's a fix-all, a cure-all. And when he doesn't come through at just the proper time, they say, I'm out. And Jesus weeps. And his heart is broken over that. So you might be saying, okay, well, Pastor Dave, what do we do? <laughs> I'm here today, I believe, and we've already talked about that. And I tried to butter you guys up at the beginning of the sermon to say that you're chicks of the, the hand, you're children of God, you're satisfied customers, you get it, you're children of God. And I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but I know that there's a lot of you who are saying in your heart today what that man is preaching is truth. I mean, we need a moral transformation in America, but much more than that, we need a revival in America. Is that not true? So this is what we do. I, 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 love, the, I love the statement, may what breaks the heart of God break our heart too. And I've got to say, what breaks the heart of God? People reject Him. 
And so what can we do in our little corner of the world to make a difference? The first thing you can do is look at your life and say, I want to be a shining light for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be one that speaks his word and lives my faith and is a witness to the Lord Jesus by the way I live so that people can see the difference that Christ makes in my life. I love what St. Augustine said. He said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. (laughs) What do you mean by that? He meant that let people see the way you conduct your activity in the business world, the way you treat other kids at school, the way you interact with your neighbors, that the light of Christ is shining through you. And do you know what? It piques people's curiosity. They say, that person has something I need in my life. I need what they have. What is it you have? And then we say, well, I love the Broncos. No, we don't say that. We say, I got Jesus in my heart. I got the joy of Jesus in my soul. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And when every earthly prop is giving way and life doesn't make sense, I have an anchor to my soul. It's Jesus. And I want you to see it by the way I live my life. Secondly, tell. Always be prepared to give a testimony of the hope that lives within you. If somebody said, what is the way of salvation? How do I get to heaven? Do you have your testimony ready? Are you ready to tell them? Some of you are saying, absolutely, and that's good. Always be prepared because you never know. I told you about my story a year and a half ago when I'm on this plane, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, oh, and the Holy Spirit just opens the door, and the Holy Spirit's knocking on my head saying, share the faith. Tell her about Jesus, and I did, and she accepted Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We got to tell the story. We got to let people know. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And people will never know unless we tell them. And it's important to live the faith. But then be ready to share your faith with those who don't know Christ. And what if every Christian in the world would say, my goal, my endeavor is to save one soul for Jesus the rest of my life. How many people know Christ today? About 33%. If everybody shared their faith to the point where one person came to faith in our lifetime, guess what? The world would be two-thirds Christian instead of one-third Christian. And then thirdly, pray. Pray for a moral transformation, yes, but more importantly, pray for a reformation. Pray for a revival. We've been talking about that for years here at Peace, and I'm still praying. Are you? Don't give up. Look at what this passage says. This is powerful. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. Let's read it together. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and do what? Heal our land. It starts with us. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I need your grace. Lord Jesus, as I come to you with a repentant heart, embracing your death and resurrection in my behalf, Lord Jesus, send your spirit like a flood upon this country. Revive, renew, restore, instill, reform. 
Because God's heart is breaking over America today. And finally, wait. I've been waiting for a revival here at our church ever since I got here. I pray for it almost every day. I tell you, I'm running out of patience. I sometimes wonder, what are you up to, God? We got such outstanding leaders here, such an outstanding staff. Lord, when are you just going to shower your, your blessing upon Peace Lutheran Church? And you know what the Holy Spirit continues to tell me? Just wait. You're not in charge. You're not God, Dave. It's not according to your timetable. You plant Apollos waters and... God will bring the growth as he sees fit. So we wait, and we wait patiently. So that's what the sermon is about today. What grieves the heart of God? What grieved Jesus as he stood over Jerusalem and he wept, people rejecting him. And it's the very same thing today in the United States. But I see God doing amazing things. One of them is happening in our church we have a program called WizKids, which is a tutoring program. Our church is partnered with Allendale um, Junior, I'm sorry, Allendale Elementary School. And what we do is we take a bus over there and we get 14 kids and we bring them over here and we have 14 tutors who help them with math and science. And uh, it's just a wonderful program. But then do you know what happens at five o'clock? We have a thing called club time. And at club time, we get to tell these kids about the Lord. And do you know what? The very first day I asked them, because we were talking about creation, I said, who made you? And if I asked you guys, you'd all raise your hand. Duh. That's an easy question. So I asked the kids, who made you? Not one hand went up. They had no idea. They had no idea where they came from. They had no idea who God was. Many of them had never heard the name. I'm kidding, kidding you not. Had never heard the name of Jesus. And so in the following weeks, we've told them about Jesus. We've told them about his miracles, how he cured people and raised the dead and cleansed lepers and changed water into wine and fed 5,000 and, and on and on and on and all these stories. And then we've told them about the death of Jesus and what it meant and the resurrection of Jesus and what it meant and that if you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. If you trust in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven someday and you're a child of God and it's God who made you and God who sent his son to save you. And so last Wednesday, I asked the kids, how many of you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And every hand went up. Now, it's not good to cry in front of, you know, fourth and fifth graders. You know what I'm saying? But I said a prayer and I said the benediction over them and then I got out of there. I went into my office and I wept. Guys, this is what I'm saying. There is nothing that brings more joy to our Lord, not over 99 people who already know Him, but the sinner who repents and turns to Him. I got to tell you, that day, some... Three months ago when I asked the kids who made you and they didn't know, I left that place with a broken heart. 
This past Wednesday, my heart was mended. What mends the heart of God? And people repented their sin and turned to Him. Oh, that there would be a revival, not only in our church, but in the United States, so that God's heart can be mended. Amen.